Episode 75 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with the head of sports science at Celtic, Jack Naylor. Jack was a previous network meeting uh, presenter at our um, Celtic meeting and once seeing him present there, I knew that I had to get him on the podcast as well to sort of delve deeper into a few different things that he talked about. So we talked about Jack's journey so far, his impressive CV um, and the clubs that he's been at, the practitioners he's worked under. We spoke about his lessons from working with Nick Broad. Um, Anyone in sports science, I'm sure, is aware of Nick Broad, um, who's sadly no longer with us. But I always wanted to ask Jack in terms of his um, the sort of takeaways that he had from working with Nick, because I know that he was very influential and early on in the sports science game. Um, So that was really interesting to speak to him about that. We spoke about his experience under different managers and how his approach may have to change. Um, So that was interesting as well. And then also preparation for Champions League qualifying games. So with the season starting so early for Celtic, uh, and I know it's going to be a little bit different this year, but um, the season essentially starting in July how that affects the preparation for players and then just finally I I had to ask um, his experience about working with Ronaldo so what his takeaways were working with Ronaldo um, and he talked about him as a person as well him as an athlete so it was great to catch up with him on all that Um, and I hope you enjoy the episode with Jack Just before we go into the episode, though, I'm going to just announce our latest giveaway. So we're going to do an ebook giveaway. Um, We're going to give away our speed um, ebook. So that goes into loads of methodology on developing speed, but there's also an eight-week speed program um, attached on the end of the ebook as well. So we're going to give ten ebooks away to the first ten people that can leave an iTunes review. So please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, a short comment, but the next 10 people that do it will get a free copy of our Speed eBook. Now, all you've got to do once you leave the review is email mail at footballfitfed.com and just screenshot the review. Um, So we've seen that review come in um, and then we'll make sure that we get you a uh, the copy of the ebook sent right over to that email address that you contact us on. So yeah, ten co- ten copies to give away of our ebook. Please just head over onto iTunes. The the faster you do it, the more chance you've got of of just claiming an ebook. Um, leave a five star review and a short comment, and then we'll get the first ten people that do so. We'll get the, those ebooks sent over to you as soon as possible. So big thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Jack. I really enjoyed speaking to him. And here it is. Welcome to episode 75 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Jack Naylor, the head of sports science at Celtic. Jack, how are things? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks for having me. Good to be here. No problem, mate. It's great to have you on. We're obviously presented on our network meeting up at Celtic, which was great. We had some amazing feedback. So you were definitely someone that I wanted to get on the podcast as well to expand on what we went into up there. Sounds good. So we've got loads of stuff we'll go into today, Jack, but just kick us off, mate. Just go into, I've just mentioned your current role, but let's go back and just take us through your career, where you've been, what you've been up to so far. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, pretty... Um 
sort of mad career path, I guess, um, since I started. Uh, first sort of role, um, I went I went to Loughborough University, um, and then first role was a year out, sort of like a sandwich year during my undergrad at Chelsea Football Club um, with Nick Broad, um, which we had to sort of go for a selection process for. I was lucky enough to get selected. Spent a year at Chelsea, which obviously um huge sort of learning experience, um, real good insight into the pressures of high-level sport at the top end. Um, I started just after they uh, lost the Champions League final to Man United. So at the time, you know, one of, if not the best team in the country. Um, so really great insight into into how that operated and how things happened there. I then completed my undergraduate degree uh, and then came out and I wasn't entirely sure on my next direction. I wasn't entirely sure. There were a number of things in Chelsea. I was exposed to so many different kind of streams of what goes on. We're working within the wider kind of medical sports science and fitness department. So lots of exposed to lots of different areas, lots of different streams. I wasn't exactly sure which kind of path I wanted to go down. Um, Anyway, after my undergrad, uh, I ended up working back at Chelsea again, um, back in sports science again, um, and decided that I wanted to go on that path. Nick contacted me. He had um, some work just on a short-term contract to help them. It was basically data entry stuff um, to help them catch up with some stuff. Um, it was a really, it was like a three-month contract to go in and help them do that. So um went in, worked on a lot of the, data entry stuff for them and then just ended up staying on uh, longer and then was offered a full-time role for the following season which I accepted um, but in that off-season um, when Carlo Ancelotti was the, man um, was the manager he lost his job but they also um, sacked the fitness coach the head of the medical team um, Brian English, fitness coach was Glenn Driscoll, the head of sports science was Nick. Um, all these guys lost their jobs as well at the same time, which seemed mad because they'd all worked at the club for a long time um, through lots of different managers. Um, and as part of that, I just um, I didn't then to take up the full time role because it didn't it wasn't really there. Um, so found myself unemployed when I thought I had a job. Uh, decided to start a masters. Um, in strength and conditioning with uh, Edith Cowan University in Australia uh, and also did a personal training qualification because I thought, well, I may as well, whilst I do this master's, try and get some practical hands-on coaching experience whilst I'm doing it. So I did that. And then at the Christmas that year, so that was Christmas 2011, um, Nick rang me and said, look, Carlo's going to become manager at Paris Saint-Germain. He's asked me to go there head of performance uh, would you like to come for a month and help me get set up um, so yeah jumped at the opportunity go and stay in Paris for a month um, see what happens at PSG and um, eventually after a couple of weeks so it became clear it was a really big project and Nick asked me to stay on full time which I did um, stayed at PSG uh, and then a year later Unfortunately, um, tragically, Nick, Nick was killed in a car accident whilst, whilst we were in Paris. Um, so 
sort of went from having this great, really amazing mentor I was working with, really innovative, uh, really forward thinking. Um, and there was just essentially the two of us in, in the department to, to not having that at all um, overnight. Um, seeing out the rest of the season with, with PSG, um, trying to carry on the work we were doing with Nick, um, but they didn't re replace Nick as such. Um, we just kind of carried on doing what we were doing. Uh, and in that time, Carlo was offered uh, the manager's job at Real Madrid and asked me to go with him to Madrid. Um, so again, really um, fortunate that Carlo wanted me to do that. Um, went and took that opportunity in Madrid, which was amazing. Um, obviously, experience working there, a huge organisation, really, really elite level, um, best players in the world, and had a great, great experience. Learned so much there. Um, but then, as a lot of people are at Real Madrid, yeah, eventually, yeah, the manager changes. Um, and we, my contract was tied to the manager, so I lost my job. Um, and then I was actually unemployed for the, the next uh, 15, 16 months, um, which by, by the end of it, you know, I was thinking, right, I'm going to pack this in. This is, this is ridiculous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something else, um, find a different career. This is just, this obviously isn't sustainable. You know, I'd, I'd, uh, at the end of the, the second season in Madrid, I got married. So I got married and then got sacked and then had to move back in with my mum and dad. Um, so it wasn't an ideal situation. Uh, and then pretty much just as I was right at the end of my tether, um, I got a call uh, from Glenn Driscoll, who'd been the fitness coach at Chelsea. He was head of performance at Celtic, working with Brendan Rodgers, and um, said, do you want to, you know, we need a head of sports science, do you want to come into the club? Um, and uh, yes, I just jumped at the opportunity because... Um, yeah, like I said, I was about to pack it all in and give up. And so I've been at Celtic now for uh, three and a half years, fourth season, three and a half years. It's one hell of a CV, mate. I think that'll perk a lot of people's attentions <laughs> up when they they hear some of the names of clubs. It's 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 a top CV. But what I wanted to ask Jack is his name's come up quite a few times, and obviously a lot of people won't be aware of his work. But you talked about Nick being a, a mentor. Um, but what were some of the biggest things you took from working with him? Um, Nick's passion and energy were unrivaled. Um, I think his his um, unbelievable work ethic, but his but his desire to make it his work ethic came around wanting to make it work for everyone. Um, you know, he worked really hard to make sure that we were operating in a way that was going to be the benefit for, the, for everyone, including the team, the coaches, the manager, whoever he was interacting with, he wanted it to be the best for them. Um, so that was definitely something learned from him. Um, and also he, he wasn't afraid to go out and um, learn from people, learn new things. Um, Nick was a nutritionist by trade. Um, and so his, his background was in nutrition and he started at Chelsea as a nutritionist, but developed through his off his own back into uh, a sports scientist leading the kind of use of GPS in the club, uh, monitoring how that fits into the rehab process and just upskilled himself in a lot of ways. 
um, into doing that. And that was completely off, off his own back and his own learning and his ability to go out and interact with people. Um, that was definitely something learned from him. Um, you know, if, if, if there's someone out there you want to learn from and you can approach them with, you know, and, and show that you've done your background research and you've, you've read around the subjects and you can go and ask them some pretty personal questions, then people in general always get back to you um, and give you some time. Uh, so that's definitely something I learned from him. Um, and just how he was just so innovative. And I think because of that and forward thinking, because he was going out and having conversations with people around their research and his, his ability to take that and then apply it into the practical setting that we existed in. So um, just things like uh, back in, you know, it, it, the acute chronic work, work ratio stuff um, that sort of really came to prominence in 2015, 2016 um, from Tim Gabbett's work. Nick was playing around with that back in 2011, 2012, after some of the initial conversations he had with Tim over a beer at a conference. Um, and so, and he immediately saw there was a potential application for something like that and started working on it. Um, and that was before, you know, I look back now and we were talking about it before, before a lot of people, you know, were talking about it. Um, and that was one of his great skills was seeing what was on the horizon and what was going to be applicable in our environment and, and bringing it in to not just to use it blindly, but to then bring it into our environment and test that it worked in the, in the environment that we were in. Yeah, I think that's been the sort of common theme on when I've spoken to people that have worked with Nick in terms of like an innovator and someone that was trying to progress the field and thinking outside the box. Yeah, definitely. Definitely um, progressing the field, both in terms of practice, but also in its application in, in, in a practical setting um, in terms of working with coaches, physios, etc. Brilliant. Art. Awesome, mate. Well, I'm going to jump around a little bit because what I want to do is is sort of go to your current role now. But firstly, when you yep. first went to Celtic, so the sort of approach you took on leading the development of sports science at the club from the top, but right the way through to the academy as well. Um, well I think one of the things I've definitely learned from moving organisations quite a bit and, and also not just organisations, but into different countries, cultures, environments is that there's um a way of a lot of people already exist in those environments know those environments really well uh and have greater knowledge on the environment that you're walking into fresh than you have so you, you have to be able to tap into that um you have to be able to go in not like a, a bull in a china shop and and change everything immediately um there are definitely there were definitely things coming in that were sort of low-hanging fruit fruit if you like that we could change quite quickly that would have an impact uh for um on what we were doing for the players the coaching staff um but also you know using the expertise of the guys in the club already to to learn about the the players and and the staff and the way of working and developing things that were going to be complementary to the, to how we wanted to do things. Um, so, yeah, um, at first team level came in, I think, like I said, there was people there doing a great job um, already. 
And it was really more about formalizing a lot of that practice. And uh, so a lot of the data collection we did, uh, GPS, heart rate monitor, stuff like that, just kind of, it was all there. It was just a little more about kind of tightening up how we were managing our data, how we were reporting it back, how that was going to apply into our practice and affect what we were doing uh, with, on a day-to-day basis. Um, the same with some of our testing protocols. Um, again, a lot of good stuff going on already, a lot of knowledge in the building, it, just more about how's, that, how's our testing going to really help tailor what we do in training and, and fit with our practice. Um, and, and the academy, the academy was, has been a different bit of a different beast because uh, I remember my first day in the well, from the first things I had to do when I walked through the door, I was sort of handed a pile of CVs, and within the first five days, it was right. There was interviews set up for the role of the academy sports scientist, and um, I'm looking through the CVs and this is the one sports science position we have in the whole academy. Uh, so that's from the under 18s down to our under nines and um, looking at the job spec and the CVs that we had through, this was going to be someone who was essentially from the candidates we had, uh, had just sort of finished their masters or as a new graduate, very little practical experience outside of an internship. Um, and for a club, sitting down at the time as well with kind of the, the CEO, the manager, things like that. The development of academy players was essential to this club's um, business model, if you like. Um, you know, we want to develop young players that can come through, but you know, we're not in a financial situation to compete with top Premier League clubs, but we want to be a Champions League club. So we need to develop young talent, bring it through. And then if they do really well, we can look to maximise um, off the back of that, maximise profits off the back of that way. So more, a bit like an Ajax or a Benfica type model. That's, that's the kind of model we're looking for. So if we were going to do that in our academy, the level of sports supervision wasn't good enough. And I was, as well, the head of the academy was also sort of telling me that quite explicitly, you know, it hasn't been good enough. We need more, we need more. So eventually what we did was spoke uh, with the board and convinced them to bring in uh, or create a new position of head of academy sports science and that was important for me because to get the right person there because i've never you know, went through my career there i've never actually worked at academy level and i believe that it's the knowledge uh, and ability to apply it and working with young players is quite specific i think there's different skill sets to working with senior players so i needed to bring someone in who had that um, and could probably fill that gap in, in my knowledge uh, and, or that blind spot for me and provide that level of service in the academy. So we went through quite a rigorous uh, selection process and employed Ollie Morgan, who's been on the podcast previously, I know. Um, and Ollie's been brilliant, come in and set out a vision for the academy sports science that's led to us now. Uh, we employed Ollie just over a year ago. So now we've gone from having one person looking after sports science in, for the whole academy to having Ollie as a head of academy sports science, plus uh, someone with our under-18s, someone full-time with our 13s to 16s, uh, three PhD students and an academy psychologist. So we've got Mark Maxwell of our under-18s, uh, Janice Buchanan looks after our 13s to 16s, and Neil Addington's our psychologist. So we've 
greatly increased our, our service provision in the academy. And I think we're starting to see the benefits of that already. I think it'd just be great to dive into uh, something you just touched on there, Jack, in terms of practitioners working with different age groups. So um, practitioners working with academies, but then also first team and having those different attributes. Because I think a lot of people, especially when they go into sports science initially or strength conditioning, they have in mind that they have to end up at a first team level. But I think you'd have seen it. I've definitely seen it. There's, there's practitioner, practitioners out there that do an amazing job with young players and they can have such an impact on a club at that level, can't they? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's, it's, it is a formational stage. It's, um, you know, there's a huge opportunity there to put in some real skills that that player can carry through with them for the rest of their career. And, and we've seen, seen the, I've seen the benefits of that from a senior level. And when I first started, um, back in 2008, there was still amongst sort of the senior pros, some suspicion around testing and monitoring, uh, GPS was very new at the time. Um, why are we doing this? You know, these senior guys who've had amazing careers without the need for, suddenly all of this testing and monitoring, um, why do they suddenly need it at that point in their career? Um, whereas now we're at a point where you've almost got sports science natives coming through. I think the EPPP program in, in uh, England probably helped that a lot in terms of the level of sports science and S&C support that's put in, in place in academies. Players are coming through graduating to senior levels now as, with that as the norm. So I think for one, you have a real opportunity to put in place some really good uh, practice and habits for those players going through their career. And then I also think, as I said, that they are different, you know, it's a different skill set. There's different pressures in an academy. Um, quite often it might be, you know, you might, you might be looking at a one year to two year and you, you might be released and you might not know as a young player whether, whether you're going to be, have a contract for the following season uh, that doesn't happen so much with senior players um, so there's different pressures are these the pressures from parents pressures from school pressure from peers all of these things that swirl around when you're a young player and so you've got to have people in the academy who can who can work with that and maximize that opportunity and and help them to develop in the right way and that and that takes a different kind of mindset to when you're working with senior players where the pressure is more around the competition and the result of the weekend and how we can work with them on that. I just wanted to give a, a brief little catch up on our community, some updates from our community. So I did mention in the last episode with Tom Williams that his podcast video, the video format on YouTube was going to be available by the time that podcast went out due to technical hitches and me pulling my hair out that that hasn't gone up yet, but that will be out this week. So um, you will be able to go and check that out. The post for that will be going up onto the community. Um, so you can go and watch that podcast as well as listening to it. And also Jack's presentation from our meeting up at Celtic is also available on our community as well as Ollie Morgan's. And I know he talks about Ollie in the in the podcast as well. Talks about his effect that he's had on the academy. Um, so both Jack and Ollie's presentations are available on our community. So you can go and check them out for free. You can get a free month on the community by going to footballfitfed.com, clicking community, signing up there. You get a free month. 
You can go and watch all the presentations, the webinars that we've got up on there. So joining Jack and Ollie, there's coaches like Tom Little, Adam Kerr, um, that have done network meeting presentations for us. But we've also got webinars from coaches like Orlando Prides, Evie, Evie Casagrande. Um, we've got Lou, Lewis Colden from down at West Ham. Um, we've got our two newest webinars as well from David Johnson at Bournemouth and Tony Tompas, a physiotherapist previously of Aberdeen. Um, they've just uploaded some webinars for us as well. So there's constantly content going on to the community. So you can go and check that out. Um, sign up footballfitfed.com and click the community tab sign up for a month you get a free month on there and it is only £4.99 per month going forward after that and you will get access to all future webinars and presentations that will be uploaded onto there so I'll leave you to part two with Jack and hope you enjoy it yeah definitely and I said I was going to jump around quite a bit so I'd love to dive into um your experience with different managers now, Jack. So you mentioned the clubs there that you've been at, and I know you've been with certain managers for longer periods, but how does that affect your role and your approach under these different managers who perhaps have the different systems, different ways of playing, different game models? How does that affect your approach? Uh, I think, again, it's not about rigidity. I think the, the manager or head coach or whatever position that is they're they're still the ones who are in charge they're still the ones making the major decisions around training uh training is still the you know the team training session each day is still the major stimulus of the day for the players so they're the ones that are making the decisions around what that looks like so again i think similar as i said to when i came in coming into new clubs you don't want to be a bull in a china shop. It's similar with with different coaches. You know, you've got to work with the way that they work. Um, quite often, they've been really successful. They've got their way of working that's developed over a number of years. Um, particularly, you know, I've been fortunate to work at clubs that are only they only hire experienced coaches with a track record of success. So you you've got to kind of appreciate that they're the domain expert and they know what they're doing. Uh, to a certain extent well definitely around the football um, and we'll have an idea around the physical load as well whereas our our role is purely the physical load um, and we want to try and work with the coaches to try and maximize that Um, but I'm not going to stand up here and never going to pretend to know more about football training than than our coaches do because they're, they're the real experts in that so I've got to have the ability to work with the way that they want to work and just try and understand the way they want to work and not be too rigid in my thinking to think, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't periodize a week that way. So it's wrong. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would do things differently. So that's not the right way of doing it just because something different doesn't mean it's not right. Um, so you want to try and work with those managers uh, and coaches, understand what their aims are and try and, work within their system I guess to maximize things to provide the best outcome for for the players because at the end of the day everyone's trying to pull in the same direction which is to win the game on a Saturday afternoon oh, definitely and then the other thing was obviously the challenge that you guys face is with the season being so long and obviously at the moment we're in a, a very very different season which we spoke about just before we started recording with the virus and everything so 
trying to take this season like out of what we're going to talk about now. But when the season starts so early, Jack, I, if I'm not wrong, wrong in saying that you guys a lot of the time will start in July, is that right? Is that when the season will start? Yeah. Um, so to give some context for listeners, um, Celtic have to go through uh, the qualifying rounds for the Champions League and um, they start around the 9th or 10th of July for us and so to put that into context when I was at Madrid the first season of Madrid we started pre-season on the 14th of July so we've already played our first competitive game at Celtic before perhaps some of these big teams are even thinking about coming back to training Uh, so that presents a huge challenge because the season isn't shorter at the other end. You know, the, the Scottish Cup final um, is around the end of May. The very beginning, it's the last weekend in May. So our season is particularly elongated. And as I said, for, for Celtic, the, the most important games of the Champions League qualifies because we're not in the same financial environment as clubs in England in the Premier League. So for us, if we get into the Champions League group stage, the sort of 30 to 35 million pound prize money we get for that is a huge, huge part of the, the club's finances. It's the biggest part, bigger than anything domestically. So almost our most important games occur right at the start of the season. Obviously, domestically, we want to win as well. So every game is important. When you're at a club like Celtic or at the top of their domestic league, every game's really difficult. Every game's important. Uh, but financially for the club those Champions League qualifiers are huge so there's a lot of pressure on the early part of the season um, and it does does make it difficult um, to try and fit in the balance of giving everyone time off after the end of a long season but also being ready for those Champions League qualifiers uh, the approach we've taken so far since I've been at the club has been to give the players two to two to three weeks off depending on um, depending on international selection and things like that of course and with their return dates and then coming back in and training for basically two and a half weeks before oh, sorry three and a half weeks before our first Champions League qualifier um, but almost using the first because the, the first Champions League qualifying round our opposition should be uh, a relatively low standard team we can treat that game from a physical point of view at least not from a technical and tactical point of view we need to win the game but from a physical point of view we can start to think about using that as sort of our final pre-season game where we're getting people up to 75 and 90 minutes now, obviously it's a competition game we're restricted on the number of subs we can make and stuff like that so we need everyone to be able to complete 90 minutes by that point but we almost have to consider that first game as a part of our pre-season preparations. And then once we're through that round, the games become progressively much harder. And so we're then into full competition mode and we have to start planning our games accordingly. Uh, the first few rounds are before the domestic season starts. So um, we, the first round, we normally don't take a weekend game. We normally have uh, a preparation time through the weekend. So we'll train through the weekend rather than play a game. But then into further rounds, uh, the next round will generally take a friendly uh, in, in the middle weekend to get the players used to three games a week. And then 
uh, obviously once the domestic season starts anyway we're up, we're up to that point anyway so I think that's quite a um, timely conversation because I know that's obviously the norm in, in Scotland in terms of such a short period to prepare but that's what a lot of clubs are going to be facing in the not too distant future isn't it with when fixtures are confirmed and um, players mm. have to recondition yeah actually for, from our point of view this is a, if this carries on for, for much longer this is, could be the longest period out of regular training our players have had since I've been at the club so in the last four years um, and possibly a lot of them have had for the majority of their careers if this goes on beyond sort of or three weeks now since we last um, almost three weeks since we almost had our last full training session uh, so we've been doing a lot of individual work with players players have got their own programs from home but it's not the same as the as team training and so actually when we're, we're looking at getting back into the games we might actually have to think about an elongated period than we would have had normally into a pre-season just because the players have had that much longer off than they normally get yeah it's all lifts and butts and waiting at the moment isn't it it's a tough period for yeah. uh, coaches practitioners and it's yeah. going to spring into action at some point as soon as we get the green light isn't it yeah exactly yeah. As, soon, as, soon as, as soon as we get a confirmed return date then everything else falls into place but I think there's got to be some understanding as well that it can't just start up, you know, start up again with a week's notice. We need to have a bit of time to get the players fit and ready. Otherwise, yeah, could be a, a real challenge. Yeah, definitely. And then just going into the clubs you've been at, Jack. Obviously, at the moment uh, at Celtic, but it also crosses over to the previous clubs at Madrid and PSG. The pressure that those clubs face to constantly win titles, win trophies. How does that knock down onto your role? Like, how does that how does that influence your relationship with players and the way you work on a daily basis? Uh, I think there has to be understanding of the pressure that the players are under and appreciation of the environment that they, they exist in. Uh, they are under a, a lot of pressure in these environments. As a, every game, as I say, you're playing three games a week. Um, and every game is a must, almost a must-win game, must-win game, must-win game. So there's a lot of pressure on the players uh, to perform and a lot of pressure for them to be motivated for those games. And one thing I've noticed is that the best players in, those, in all the environments I've worked in, they thrive in that environment and they, they enjoy it every game. They're so, so super competitive that they, they need to win um, every single game and that's not a problem for them um, so you you are there you know you don't want to then I think in your own practice start putting too much undue pressure on players to comply with things definitely something working you know, for a few years with Carlo Ancelotti something he's amazing at is is creating this kind of hard working but relaxed environment uh, I think something fairly similar to what we've got at Celtic when we've got a really good culture here amongst the boys at Celtic that they work really hard but we also don't put undue pressure on them to come in and we're not we're not testing all the time we're not we're not you know we we drive the boys quite hard but that's a lot of that self-driven from them in terms of their levels of fitness and the work they want to do but I don't think we we put a lot of pressure uh, or we try to not put too much pressure on them individually um 
because of the pressures they get outside for that. And, and we also try and provide as much downtime or away time and try and keep, keep things lighthearted if we can. And that's definitely something that has seen previous places that's been important for those players is that you can't just be this kind of barking, shouting S&C coach, constantly driving at 100 miles an hour, driving people forwards and cracking a whip. You've also, there's got to be a two-way street. You've got to appreciate when, when times are tough, when the, every game is important, but which are the, you know, there's a, some games that become really, really high pressure particularly towards the end of the season or perhaps in local derbies and things like that. So you've got to be able to read that and understand the, the players, understand the mood in the dressing room and kind of work with that. I couldn't go through this episode without bringing up a, a certain player at Madrid and, and your experiences with him. I know you told some great stories about um, working with Ronaldo over at, um, when we were up at Celtic for the network meeting, but... What are your sort of biggest takeaways for working with him, mate, in terms of like his approach, his mindset? What what were the things you look back on and carry forward? Uh him, I, his his relentlessness um and his and his curiosity to be to be better. Uh, he he would uh, push back as hard as he was pushed in terms of wanting more from staff, more from players. Um, very, very professional. Um, I think that's probably something that everyone knows or assumes about him anyway. You know, he um, leads quite a quiet personal life. Um, he's not out. He's not. He's just at home. Enjoys his life at home. Eats very, very well. Looks after himself very, very well. Interested in maximizing everything that he can uh, from that he's got and what the game's given him. He's interested in maximizing everything. And he wants to, like I said, just be the best he can. And, and he's relentless in that and in driving everyone else on as well. And that can come across sometimes as, you know, in, in training or something, a dissatisfaction with other players or, but generally I think it's with him. He's often frustrated with himself as much as anyone. Um, and he always wants to, to be the best he can be, I guess. And, and that's something definitely learned from him, you know, drive the way he drove people forward. And um, he was, yeah, he was in, incredible to work with. Yeah, I bet. And you can see that from the outside, like you said, can't you? The sort of habits and stuff that he has in place. Um, but I, I couldn't go through it without asking, mate, definitely. Um, <laughs> just finally, Jack, I, I wanted to ask what your where you see the future of sports science. Where do you see, see things progressing over the next few years, next few seasons? What areas do you feel like are going to be pushed forward? I think a lot of what's where, where we're going. I think the way, way we should be thinking about things, at least, is is how we can fit what we want, um, our phys the physical things that we're looking to gain uh, with our players and develop and how that fits in with the technical and tactical side and how we can better complement the technical and tactical training with the work that we do physically. I think one, one thing that I would discourage in all the... Uh, you know, all the guys that work, I work with, um, but also you know, anyone that's listening is to be 
is to think purely in like a physical box and I've got to tick my physical box and then I'm happy with that. You've got to be able to see the wider picture, the complexity of the football, what, how that fits in with what the, the technical and tactical coaches are wanting um, and everything else in, in the wider picture. And so I think we've got to be better at thinking a bit more with a wider viewpoint. Um, and I think a lot of, you're, we're starting to see that now coming out in uh, research, looking at, you know, we're now looking at um, curve sprinting and things like that rather than just purely straight line speed. So that's starting to happen. Starting to I think that's the way it's going to go is it's going to become more and more tailored, not purely to looking at a the physio- physiological adaptation that we're looking for, but also looking at how that fits into the match performance and, and tailoring it to that and tailoring our training around the technical and tactical demands of the game as much as anything else. Awesome, mate. Well, Jack, I really appreciate you coming on and doing this. It's been top. Um, have you got any, is there anywhere that people can reach out to you or best places to follow you? Or have you got any speaking engagements or anything coming up? Um, so, uh, I'm on Twitter, Jack W. Naylor. I'm not the most prolific tweeter. I generally tend to retweet things I find interesting. Um, the other thing I do is I'm the Football Science Institute, which is a online uh, learning platform for anyone interested in the science of football, I guess, that has been set up by a couple of former colleagues from Real Madrid. Um, and they run, I do some lecturing for them. So they run a master's level course in strength and conditioning for football. There's a course in uh, rehabilitation for football. And I've actually helped them by coordinating a course in nutrition, which is going to be launching soon. Um, so I do some stuff with them as well. Uh, so you can check that out at the Football Science Institute. Awesome, mate. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. It's good to catch up and hopefully uh, we'll have a clearer vision on what the rest of the season looks like very soon. Fingers crossed. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jack. Stay safe, mate. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed episode 75 with Jack. It was great to catch up with him again. You can go and follow him on Twitter. He's at Jack W and then Naylor, which is N-A-Y-L-E-R. I think there was plenty of takeaways and this just sort of um, carried on from when we were up at Celtic and he did our, um, and they hosted our network presentation, uh, network meeting, the presentation that Jack did there. But some of the extra sort of takeaways for me from the podcast um, where where he mentioned about having doubts about sports science. So in his period between Real Madrid and Celtic, obviously he'd been in a massively a massively established club in terms of Real Madrid and pre- previously before that, PSG and Chelsea as well. And then he comes out of the uh, uh, working with Real Madrid and there's still doubts about sports science and the sort of um, consistency of it and security of it as well so that was interesting to hear from Jack and then obviously he got the job at Celtic as well through through networking and people that he knew so I think that's sort of reassuring for coaches and it just shows the importance of that network and that we constantly staying in touch with people and creating opportunities for ourselves and then also when he mentioned about using the good people already in place and I think it was when he went into Celtic that he said that there was plenty of good people already in place and you and you just had to use them. So that was really interesting because I think a lot of people want to do something new, but without realizing that we're surrounded by we can be surrounded by good people a lot and we, we need to utilize them too. 
And then the other thing for me was where I talked about the pressure. So the pressure of dealing with, and not just Celtic, but the previous clubs, PSG, Real Madrid, these are clubs that are expected to win league titles year on year and how he goes about managing that. And it was interesting for me where he said that he tries not to put pressure on players. So it might just be general things throughout the day, throughout the week, and that other clubs will put pressure on players to do. But at Celtic, they're looking at it that they're already in, under enough pressure. So they'll supply them with the things that they need, but they're not going to really like pressurise them into doing it because it just adds pressure on top of pressure. So I think that was some of the biggest takeaways for me. I'd love to hear yours. Um, I always like listening to Jack. I think he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience, so it's great to hear him speak again. Um, so please reach out, let us know what you think. Drop us a message on Twitter or Instagram and, or an email at mail at footballfitfed.com and let us know what some of your takeaways were. And I just wanted to mention again, like I said at the start of the episode, we are going to be giving away 10 free ebooks to the next 10 people that leave us a iTunes review. So head over to iTunes, click the five stars, leave us a short review, and the next 10 people to do so, if you email us once you've left a review with a screenshot, so email mail at footballfitfed.com with a screenshot of the review, um, then we will send you over a free copy of our speed ebook, which includes loads of speed methodology on how to develop speed for football, but it also has a eight-week speed program in there as well. So go and leave us a review and we'll send that over to you as soon as possible. But a massive thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Jack. I certainly enjoyed speaking to him and we'll speak to you again later in the week.